You're listening to KDNK's Public Affairs Show for Land's Sake. I'm Bill Kite, your host, and today our guest is Sarah Timson of Highwater Farm. Uh, welcome, uh, Sarah. Are you with us? I'm here. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, great. Uh, first of all, I'd like for you to tell a little bit about yourself, how you made your dream come true uh, at the Silt Preserve, and uh, and let us know a little bit about you. Great. Yes. Um, so we're excited to be farming down on land owned by the town of Silt at the Silt River Preserve, and we just got started in April of last year with Highwater Farm. Uh, my background is in farming and youth education. So when I was in my early 20s, I jumped into an AmeriCorps position, first at a community garden, and then at a small farm youth program startup. And I ended up running the job training program for teens. Afterwards, spent some time um, farming and getting my teaching license, and then have kind of jumped back and forth between both farming and then teaching in the public school system until last year. All right. Uh, your website says your, your theme is growing food, empowering youth, and fueling community. Tell us a little bit about that. Yep. Um, great. So our mission at Highwater Farm is to use sustainable agriculture to transform the lives of young people and increase access to healthy food in Garfield County. And so we like to think about the work we do in those three different buckets, like you said, growing food, empowering youth, and fueling community. And so we break that down by saying growing food is a way to engage with our natural environment in a way that's beneficial for the environment itself and then also for the humans that interact with that environment and that consume that produce. And so first and foremost, we're this production farm whose priority is to grow food well um, and in tandem with the surrounding ecosystems and to do that well. And so now, now that we're a functioning farm, um, after our first year startup in 2020, we were able to say, okay, great, now we can focus on this next piece of our mission, which is empowering youth, and then starting this job training program that we were able to run this year in 2021. Um, and so we did that with a lot of help from the community. In December of 2020, we ran a crowdfunding campaign to raise $30,000, and we said if we can raise that money, we can effectively run a youth program in 2021, and so that happened, and we saw a lot of great support for that. Um, and so then what that looks like is we um, we asked teens who are interested to apply and then interview for a position to work with us on the farm for eight weeks during the summer. This last year, we had six teens, and they showed up to work every day at 8 a.m., and then they learned hard work ethic, um, teamwork, communication and leadership skills, and um, they helped us grow food. And so we believe that agriculture and farming is a platform for empowering youth and a, a platform for also engaging our community, which brings us to that last piece that you mentioned, which is fueling community. So we think that food is this common thing that we all, we all need, and we have this shared history of really needing agriculture in order to survive. And so how can we come together around that thing? And and then we, we believe we feel community in a few different ways. So we want to improve food equity through access to our, our produce, which we route 25% of our produce to local pantries. And then we also want to make sure that we're engaging the community and local agriculture through volunteer days and really fun community events that we host. What are some of those community events that you've had or you're planning to have? Um, okay, so... In 2021, we got to launch our first community lunch. So that's a, that's an event that is in tandem with the youth program. 
um, where our teams work with a local chef to grow produce. I mean, sorry, to, to prepare the produce in, in some type of meal. In this case, we were working with a really amazing chef from Youth Entity. His name is Joe DeBoule. And he prepared a really incredible lunch using our produce. Um, and then we invited the community out to the farm to eat with us. And so we make that really reasonable. We want people to be able to afford to do that and be able to take a quick break in the middle of their work day during a work week and come check out the farm and teams give tours. Uh, we had a number of other fun events, one where we invited folks to come out and um, cut sunflowers and weave them into our French line, and that was kind of a fun artistic event. Um, we have a movie night and fall uh, celebration where we invite people out and have a, have a little pumpkin patch and then we also um, this year started our fall brunch, and so we're excited to have that going forward as well, where we do a farm-to-table dinner. Or farm, sorry, that was a farm-to-table brunch. Um, in the future, we're looking to have a farm-to-table dinner as well. Um, so some really fun ways for people to come out and eat our produce, um, but also just to come, yeah, buy pumpkins or, yeah, pick some flowers, things like that. Well, you've really uh, made some great strides in the the last two years getting started. Um, who caught your vision and, and helped you? Uh, yeah, thank you, Bill. And, um, I mean, so we talk about community support. Really, this has been a community-supported effort from the beginning. So we have a lot of people who have been invested in this concept. So in 2019, um, I held some visionary board meetings to kind of gauge interest and support for this concept and then make sure that this thing that I had done previously in Salt Lake City really applied and fit where we are now. And so during that process, got connected to Aspen Valley Land Trust, who then connected us to the town of Silt. And so first and foremost, those two partners have really helped us lift this thing um, and really helped bring this to life. And then we have some really amazing board members. So if folks peruse our website, they can check out who's on our board, and our board members have been really integral to helping us find resources or connect us to tractor work, the different things and elements that have also helped with this. Um, and then, of course, we have some really generous supporters, private foundations, community partners like Alpine Bank or Salt Sand and Gravel that helps fund our first youth program. Um, and then when we talk about shared vision, of course, I think of the people on the ground doing the work um, on the farm and running the programs. And so this young woman, Anna Thomas, worked with me as an AmeriCorps Vista when she first came to the Valley in 2020 and helped me really get the farm up and running and then helped develop out our youth program over the winter and um, then helped run that first youth program. She's now moved on and is getting her master's in the, at Notre Dame. In the meantime, then we had this next wave of really amazing workers come in and um, we've got a salt local, her name is Rachel, and she has been with us for two seasons. We're excited to have her back next season. Ellie, who came in from North Carolina and was our first crew leader in the summer program. And then we've got volunteers who lead workshops, um, who work on the farm regularly. The Jay Walker group comes out every Thursday, and they do some really heavy lifting. Um, so I, I think in terms of, like, who shares this vision, it, it, this vision kind of belongs to everyone. And it's um, in that sense, we say this farm is community-based. We want to serve the community in a, in a bunch of different ways, and how do we best do that? And then we are completely lifted up by that same community. So it's really hard. I think that's a really long answer to your short question. Oh, no, that's... It's really hard to pinpoint. Oh, of course. Oh, that's perfect, really. Uh, so how did how did the uh, people that uh, you found, how, did you find them or did they find you? Um, kind of 
both, I would say. Our visionary meetings kind of helped spread word that this contest was kind of coming, but then we've been putting the word out there that we need help and we've been found that way. And then in other terms, uh, when we put a call out for volunteers, we have some really amazing people come out of the woodwork. Uh, We've had CSA members who've looked us up and signed up for a CSA and now can get our veggies every week. And they've been incredibly supportive. Yeah, it's hard to say, but I hope people are finding us somehow online or word of mouth. Um, Yeah. Well, let's hope today helps uh, people know that you're around and how to get hold of you. So uh, you're listening to For Land's Sake, and our guest today is Sarah Timsison from High Water Farm. In uh, 2021, is about to go into the history books. And now, what were your three biggest challenges um, during 2021, and how did you overcome them? It's hard to pick those three, Bill. <laughs> okay. Well, just start with start with one, and we'll go from there. Okay, okay. I mean, and I definitely, I think as a farmer and someone who loves this work, challenges are always growth areas for me, right? They're not necessarily breaking us all down, but they're definitely there to, to force us to hurdle. So uh, I would say the first one is actually pest management. Um, we dealt with cutworms this year. And so from a land management and growing vegetables perspective, I, I was unfamiliar with cutworms and I actually connected with farmers kind of across the valley and heard from a lot of other farmers that this was a really hard year of, of cutworms in the area. And so in farm management, we anticipate in year one, you know, everything is hard. So in 2020, everything was hard anyway, and we had a lot of forgiveness from the community because of COVID and fires and all of these scary things. In 2021, in year two of farm startup, we anticipate, okay, we've had crops in the ground, pests are finding us, our ecosystem is not fully in balance yet, and there's going to be enough of an imbalance that we'll find some um, pretty big pest damage. And cutworms came in and, and they were really, just like it sounds, they cut um, produce as it's growing right at the base. So as soon as our garlic started to get damaged, I was like, oh, this is a really big deal. Um, we need to figure out what this is. Previously, I had been like, There's, we're seeing some plants kind of disappearing or dying back, but that seems normal. Um, and so that took kind of like a three-prong approach. So that's an agricultural challenge. Um, but I think like bigger picture, a, a second challenge would be the drought. Um, we, we got fortunate with afternoon monsoons and saw a decent amount of afternoon rains, uh, I would say in like August, September, October. And that had really helped us out because it had become so dry and hot so early. I hope that we are fortunate next summer in the same way, but I just see this as ongoing. And uh, I imagine, Bill, just with the perspective that you have in your show, that this is something that um, we're all kind of feeling heavily. I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. Well, it, it's, it is a problem, and I was concerned about um, your water situation. How, how did that work out, and do you see that as a problem in the future? Yeah, I mean, so we, because our property is owned by the town of Silt, and we're at the Silt River Preserve, and that's been conserved by Aspen Land Trust, we have we basically lean on the town of Salt and Aspen Valley Land Trust to help us understand our water rights. We pull from the Rising Sun Ditch, which pulls right off of the Colorado River. And, you know, there's there's an area in Silt where when you can walk across the river, it's so low and the river's so wide. 
the ditch stays full for a decent amount of time, but it becomes scary probably at the height of summer in July and August. And then our ditch was turned off in mid-October. So I, I can't imagine necessarily what next summer brings, but I'm hoping to connect with the water commissioner and just do more homework over the winter so I can be better prepared for next season because it's definitely something we're continuing to have to prepare for in creative ways. Right. I, I was thinking when you were talking about the pest, when I was a kid, uh, we we farmed out in the, in the country. And, and uh, my dad would give me 25 cents for every tomato worm that we that I killed. And uh, it was, wow. <laughs> I, I never got rich, but boy, uh, you can get a pest, <laughs> get a pest like that. And it just uh, can really, really knock you, knock you for a loop. So, and drought as well. You know, and, uh-huh. I think if someone put, I think if someone put forward a quarter for every bug that I squished this year, I would definitely be rich. I bet you <laughs> would. I bet you would for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, when uh, my wife Kate came back from High Water Farm and and talked with you, she she brought back some produce and she made uh, tomatillo salsa and pumpkin soup. She's a great mm. cook, and I, I'm kind of wondering then what. What are some of the crops that you're you're growing, and and are, if people are interested in the CSA um, in 2022, can they? Is there room? I guess it would be what yes, my question. Yes, I mean, so we. I was really proud of our CSA this year, Bill, and I'm glad that Kate got to cook some yummy dishes with what with what she took home. We had a, a decent amount of variety, and. Um, it's each week is a little different. I mean, so our CSA starts in mid June, and I would say at that time there are a decent amount of varieties of greens and radishes and green onions. Um, but then as the summer progresses, we start to get things like squash and cucumbers, green beans, peas, um, tomatoes, eggplant. I mean, in the spring and fall, we had a little bit of broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, and we'll continue to expand the types of varieties we grow. I tend to lean heavily into things that I know grow well at our climate and that we have good varieties for. Uh, we partner with Wild Mountain Seeds also now Seed Peace and um, got a really a, a lot of beautiful strong starts from those guys and some varieties that are really adapted for the area and the climate. And so um, I like to grow a lot of things that are, that fall into that category. So things we can grow well and still are onions, um, tomatoes, garlic, squash, um, and we had a lot of winter squash as well. I, there's a pretty long, I could probably talk about vegetables all day, so it might be dangerous. <laughs> what about potatoes? You, do you grow potatoes? Have you tried Yeah, them? we grow potatoes too. Yep, we have potatoes and we'll have even more next year. We had a high demand for potatoes this year, so we'll be growing more next year. Well, you know, pota- uh, potatoes used to be a real staple here in Carbondale. Just, that's why we still have potato days here. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Yes, kinda... and we actually provided some of those potatoes for potato days. Oh, right. And they do grow so well here. We were really happy with our crops. Well, good. Um, I guess it's it's good to kind of look forward to this coming new year. And so what are your plans for 2022? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. Thank you. Um, so we've got a really incredible team lined up for 2022. We've got an amazing farm manager, um, some seasonal staff already lined up to, to come back this next year. We do have one position that's still available. We're looking for a youth program lead, so that would be an AmeriCorps position through Healthy Future, but that person would contract with us from March through the end of October. Um, so that's, that's something that's coming down the pipeline. It's a 
if folks know of anyone who would fit this description, somebody looking to work with teens in the summer, help take on a lot of the administrative responsibility of coordinating and then of leading teens in the field. Um, that's something we're looking for. We also will be expanding our CSA from 35 members to 50 members. We'll be expanding our production from one acre to an acre and a quarter. We'll be looking to expand our wholesale accounts. And then we'll also be working to, I'm working to fundraise right now over the winter so that we can bring on 10 teens next year at a more competitive wage. So last year, teens earned a stipend to work in our program. They earned $400 every two weeks and they earned a $400 bonus at the end so they could earn $2,000 for this eight week program. And this next year, we want to be able to employ them at a higher wage. Um, and part of that is to make sure that we really are building equity so that, yes, it's challenging to make uh, produce sales lucrative because we live in a world where um, our food systems have subsidized conventional growing. And so how do we then make it livable for people growing food at this scale when we don't receive government subsidies? Well, we do need to seek out funding. And so we're fundraising so that we can, um, as farmers and growers and program directors, so that my staff can make a livable wage, but then also so that the teams who are coming on board can at least make minimum wage, if not more. Um, so that's coming down the pipeline too. So we've got lots of big plans for 2022, um, and we're working hard right now to gear up for that. A lot of people may not know what CSAs are, so tell us a little bit about how, what they are and how they work for, for people. Okay, sure. Um, so CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture, and the concept is that people who become a member are basically buying a share of the farm. So they're buying into the farm in advance. In our instance, where we're at, located in Silt, a CSA share costs $650 for uh, anywhere from 14 to 16 weeks worth of produce. And so that money is paid up front. Um, that then investment allows the farmer to turn around and buy needed items in advance. So we buy in compost, um, seeds, trays that we can grow in. Um, we have a lot of materials needs up front. And then in return, those members come once a week. Uh, we'll have 15 shares available in Glenwood. I think we've still got maybe six shares left for Glenwood pickups. And those folks pick up at my house on Tuesday evenings between 5 and 7 p.m. Um, and then on farm, we pick up on pick up is on Saturday morning, and we'll have 35 shares available on the farm and silt um, between I think it's like 8:30 to 10:30. And um, and then the the produce that is a part of that share at my house it's pre-boxed, and so there's not um, it's not kind of hand selected by the customer. They kind of get what they get, but they're along for the ride and excited about what we have every week. Uh, on farm, folks get a tote bag and that determines the size of their share and they get to basically go grocery shopping with what we have available and fill that tote with what their family can use that week. That sounds like fun <laughs> for them, for yeah, people. Yeah, it's a pretty cool model. I do love it. You know, farming is not easy for people that don't know that, <laughs> that are listening. It's, <laughs> it's really not. And, and what... What inspires you uh, to work as hard as you do? Because I know how hard you work. Um, and to keep going when you have pests or you're worried about drought or those kind of things. What what really inspires you? Wow, Bill, that's a really big question. Um, ah, that's a hard one. I would say ultimately the love for this work really does run deep. And for me, 
maybe this is Bill, maybe this is all part of your plan to bring this back to your show and bring it full circle, but for me, it really is about the natural environment and working in a place that is both beautiful and needs protecting and that has resource scarcity. And so I feel like every day, even though it's challenging to see less and less water in the Southwest and uh, desertification of our surrounding areas, that we get to play a small part in that and that I then get to be part of building community resilience around that. And so um, a lot of things in our world feel insurmountable and almost like too hard to fathom. How do we, how do we tackle the really big scary things that we see in front of us? This is something that is tangible and on the ground. And so when I am, you know, messing with irrigation parts and there's 40 mile an hour wind gusts at two in the afternoon. I feel like if I can just get the irrigation system figured out, you know, at the end of the day, I did something that's still working towards this greater goal. And anyone who's out there with me, I think feels that, that, that this is tangibly something that creates an impact because we see it when we get our, our produce to the food pantry we see it when our customers can pick up their shares. We taste the difference. Um, and, and I feel better working outside knowing that I'm doing what I can to really change the way that we impact the natural environment around us. So fundraising in a nonprofit, I, I could tell you personally, is, is not an easy thing. What, what are some of your fundraising uh, activities? Have you planned any yet for 2022 that people can look forward to? Thanks, Bill. Yeah, um, so yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm still getting better at this fundraising thing. And right now, it'd be great if folks are, are listening and interested, if they sign up for our newsletter and visit our website. That's the way that we get in touch about upcoming events. And um, that's also where our, our, our positions become available for teens or the AmeriCorps position I, I mentioned earlier. Everything is funneled through our website. But in terms of fundraising events or activities, I would say stay tuned, but start to come out to the farm in April. If folks are interested in volunteering, we will be having farm-to-table dinners and brunches uh, starting in, like, July, August, September. Um, and then if folks aren't interested in making, like, a donation outright to something like our youth, your youth program, really buying our produce is the next way to support what we're doing and to support local food. And so we sell our produce at the Carbondale Farmer's Market, at the Silt Farm, Farmer's Market, and then we also have our CSA where folks can pick up and go on water at the farm. So that pretty much tells people how to get in touch with you and how they can help. And uh, good luck, mm-hmm. uh, Sarah, with all your coming events and everything. I really have a lot of respect for what you're doing and uh, really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you. Hey, Bill, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your time, and uh, thanks to all your listeners for being a part of this. Thank you for listening to For Land's Sake. Tune in every second Tuesday at 4.30. Until then, whatever you do to Mother Nature, do it for land's sake. <laughs>